this is Big Talk. Michael Glab here, my guest this week in the studio. Andrew Gunther. Andrew, thanks for being on Big Talk. Thanks for having me today, Mike. Andrew's uh, that rarest of political creatures. He's a Republican in Bloomington. <laughs> I got to tell you something. Orson Welles directed Citizen Kane when he was 24 years old. Okay? William Pitt became Prime Minister of England at the same age, 24. You're 24. J.K. Rowling, 25, when she created Harry Potter. Richard Branson, 23, Virgin Records. These young people doing this stuff. Okay, so maybe your ambition right now is not as huge as those ambitions, but you're joining that august list of extremely young people trying to forge ahead in this world that's run by older people. Yeah, uh, it's really something that I, I've always believed is that you need to get involved if you want to see things really develop how you are prioritizing. Um, so if you want to see something happen, you really need to get involved and push for it yourself. And, and getting involved uh, in politics you know, was never something I wanted to do as a candidate. It was always something that I'd, I'd worked in as a policy wonk. Mm. Um, but you know, there's things in Bloomington that I think need addressed. And the only really way, real way to get anything done, I think, is to get involved and start a conversation about it. Well, let's be specific. You're running in the Republican primary, the Republican primary like the Democrat primary in the first week of May, first Tuesday in May, the general election, first Tuesday in November. You're running for Bloomington City Council, the seat, District 2. It's being held right now by the incumbent Democrat Dorothy Granger. She herself is running against two challengers in her primary, Sue Scambaluri and Daniel Bingham, you're running unopposed because uh, how many Republicans are there in this town? It's hard to find. I, I think there's more Republicans than people would think. Um, <laughs> I, I've met people who've told me, you know, that, you know, I'm a Republican, but I don't want to come out as a Republican, so to speak, because, uh, you know, they're either working for the city and they're uh, afraid of being one of only a handful of Republicans at their workplace, uh, or they're working for the university, and uh, the university, as we know, is, is typically slanted towards the left. And mm -hmm. uh, it's just a matter of people, even independents are seem to be afraid to admit that they're not a Democrat in this town. So, you know, it, it can be hard to find us, but we're there, I promise you. It's a one-party town, and I, I always say that it's good to have competition. Oh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I find that uh, if you have a group of people who all tend to think the same way um, or tend to agree on some major issues that uh, there's not a lot of checks and balances that go through the conversations. So I think it never hurts to have a voice in the room that's not afraid to ask questions that others may not be thinking of. And uh, when you have uh, a one-party majority, they don't necessarily, I think, spend the time to uh, consider some angles that they wouldn't otherwise do with another voice in the room. Now, should you be elected you would, I would think, I can't find anybody younger than you who has served on that city council. Have you looked into that? I believe that there are some individuals who, who bordered on at least near my age. Uh, I know Brad Whistler ran first when he was, uh, I believe, in his early 20s. Uh -huh. um, but I believe uh, Jason Banash won at 22, if I'm not mistaken. Uh -huh. um, so I do believe that there have been uh, individuals who have served in their early 20s on the city council. But uh, it's been a while, yes. Andrew, you're a latecomer then in that case. Yes, I am. <laughs> now, let's learn a little bit about you personally. Okay. Born and raised in Valparaiso. Valparaiso, Indiana. We were part of uh, more of the county. Um, we were annexed. 
it was a situation where we were out in the county and we needed city services and we got city services, but I don't ever remember my family uh, participating in the city politics. We were more of a farming community than anything else out in Felt Farming like so. community, but your dad was a union steel worker. Correct. Yes, my dad uh, worked for U.S. Steel since I was about seven years old. Uh-huh. Um, he's still working there today, doing crane operations and no working on that. He also, you know, farms and hunts in his spare time. Uh, we have a, a garden plot that we have, obviously, a very large garden plot, uh, and then we have about 15 acres of land that uh, we rent out to farmers to use as well. So ah. we're well ingrained in that culture up there. Your mother? My mother's a homemaker. Um, she uh, currently has one child left in the nest, uh, and she's uh, my sister Emma. She's 16 now. You left the nest not terribly long ago. Uh, by my math, I think it was, what, 2013? Yes, 2013, to come down here for IU. Came to Bloomington. Why did you come to Bloomington? Uh, so I originally was torn between going to either IU or Purdue. Um, I'd had experience with both up in northwest Indiana, so I went to uh, IU Northwest for debate tournaments in high school, and I went to Purdue uh, West Loft for various uh, business organizations, and um, I went uh, to an organization and uh, program at their research park in Purdue um, back in high school. So the, what really made the decision was the environment in Monroe County uh, that really drew me here. Uh, growing up in a farming area, you know, that wide open space is something that I, I really treasure and something I found more accessible here in Bloomington. What kind of kid were you? What were you interested in? Were you the the geekiest kid in, in school who was always interested in politics and things on that order? Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I was I was a mixed bag. So I, I played sports. You know, I, I ran uh, cross-country and track, and I played soccer growing up um, and volleyball as well. Uh, but I also was involved in science academics. I was involved in business academics and debate um, and politics as well in high school. So it was, it was something that I've always been interested in. And, uh, you know, I've always been a mixed bag of a person. I read, I play sports, I, I do all of it. You just graduated from college a couple of months ago. Yes, yes, I did. So uh, with my Bachelor of Science in Public Affairs from uh -huh. SPIA. While you were in college, you uh, served on several student advisory boards and councils. You were an active student. Yeah, I was. So ever since I first stepped foot, you know, when I first came to IU as a freshman, uh, I was elected vice president of my uh, dormitory, which was Ashton, uh, which is actually in my district um, mm. that I'm running for in District 2. And then from there, I just I kept it piling things on. I was on the Campus Housing Advisory Committee, which helped do capital planning for the university. I was on the Student Legal Services Board for the university. Uh, there, there was plenty of things I had my hand in and was really excited to uh, be involved in while I was there. Students really don't vote, do they? No, they typically don't. So uh, the students that tend to vote tend to vote for Democrats. Mm -hmm. um, I find that a lot of Republican students uh, on campus, and there are plenty of them, um, they tend to remain registered in their hometown. They don't really want to register to vote here, either because they feel that they don't have a right to vote here, which I disagree with, um, or they feel as though they don't have uh, really any opportunity to elect a Republican or there isn't any Republicans running, so why would I change my vote to register here. So. Uh, they're living here about nine months a year. That's exactly what I say. So you live here nine months out of the year at least. Uh, you work here, you pay taxes here, you you shop here, you eat here. and Use you know, the roads, call the police. Yep, and you don't think that you have a right to say, you know, how that money is spent, how, who runs your government. And uh, I think that's a, uh, a mistake that many students have made for many, many years. And that's something I want to help them understand is that, you know, this is their city too. Uh, it belongs to everybody. And, you know, if they want to have a voice in it, then they need to get involved in that way. Now, in the six or so years you've been here in Bloomington, you've had some jobs. 
you have worked here. You have worked uh, pretty much in the civics field, uh, Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, so I worked uh, for a summer at the Chamber of Commerce uh, doing policy advocacy and analysis for them, uh, primarily working on the Trades District at the time and as well as I-69. Um, so I, I, I've been working with the Chamber uh, on that, and then that just kind of evolved into me uh, getting more involved in the community in a variety of ways. I, find, I found the Chamber was very tapped into that sort of activity. You were just named the chair of the Bloomington Environmental Commission? Yeah. Um, we had our elections last year. I joined the commission back in September. Uh-huh. Um, our current chair, Nick Kappas, who is on the plan commission currently, uh, stepped down. He, he is expecting a child. You've been a delegate to the Metropolitan Planning Organization Citizen Advisory Committee? Yes. So my first meeting with them is actually this Thursday. Um, huh. Since I was just uh, elected chairman, I was just uh, appointed to the delegate to that commission. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited to get working with them as well. You uh, evaluate petitions before the Planning Commission. Yeah, so the Planning Commission receives uh, petitions that are beyond what the staff in the Planning and Transportation uh, Department can handle or um, beyond what's their ability to decide on their own. Um, And the Environmental Commission oversees those petitions and tries to decide what the environmental aspects of the the, uh, petition is. And then we offer recommendations uh, to the Planning Commission for conditions of approval as well as to the developer for additional green building practices they can install to save them money as well as uh, protect the environment here in Monroe County. Andrew, were you never invited to parties or anything while you were a student? You've got all this stuff going on? I mean, I, re- I, was, I was an involved student. Um, I wasn't a partier, so to speak. Um, uh-huh. I, I was involved in student advocacy, of course, and, and student government and student organizations. And, you know, some of them were fun in nature. Some of them were more government in nature. But, you know, I, I was an involved student. I was actually uh, IU homecoming king uh, back, in 27, back in 2016. Huh. Um, so, you know, I've been an involved student and I've been an involved citizen. And I think that's uh, people don't usually expect that combination, but, you know, it, it's something that I like to be involved wherever I am. And I've been at IU and uh, Bloomington, of course, as well. So, Andrew, did you work for current Mayor Hamilton's mayoral campaign in 2015? No, I did not. So there is a misconception. That's going around. Yes, that's that's been going around since 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked for the IDS as an opinion columnist. Okay. Um, and I'd always been, you know, someone who believed in honesty in politics and someone who who thought that you know you, you it's okay to change your opinions and so cha- okay to change your views um, so long as you're honest about those views that do change. So uh, I wrote a column about uh, Daryl Nair, who was uh, president of the city council and running against Mayor Hamilton in the Democratic primary, um, where he had made allegation or made claims that he had been a Democrat uh, since the '80s, uh-huh. um, when in fact he had been voting Republican in the early 2000s as well. And uh, I merely said that you know you need to address these questions. You know, you need to be honest about when you stop being uh, a Republican and move to the Democratic Party. And, you know, people took that as me, as an attack. It wasn't an attack against Mr. Nair. You know, I had nothing against him or his platform. And uh, I never worked for the Hamilton campaign or had any contact with them. It was just a matter of, you know, honesty in politics. You know, if, if Mayor Hamilton had, had done the same thing in his campaign, if he had switched parties and then tried to screw around the issue, I would have called him out the same way. So, uh, just because I questioned one candidate's actions or words at a point in time does not mean I worked for the other campaign, and I never did. So, Subsequently, uh, did not Mayor Hamilton name you to boards or any kind of commission? 
Uh, Mayor Hamilton did appoint me to the Bloomington Board of Housing Quality Appeals. Uh-huh. Um, I hadn't been... Well, how did he know about you? So I imagine that he claimed to heard me through the column. Um, uh-huh. The column did make quite a splash uh, in Bloomington through social media. You yourself covered it yeah. uh, on, on your blog. And uh, so people did hear about it. And I, I, the only thing I can think of is that he came to know more of my credentials, my work in Bloomington politics, my work in policy, uh, and had decided to go from there. And I had also served on the, Bloom- on the Monroe County Environmental Commission as well. So public service wasn't anything foreign to me, and I, I didn't think it was uh, strange at all that he uh, appointed me to a board that I did apply to. So, so I'm going to ask you the same question you would have asked Daryl Nair. Have you ever been a Democrat? Yes. I, you I have been a Democrat. I was. I was uh, okay. a Democrat starting in high school and uh, through most of my uh, early years of college. Um, around 2015 is where I started to waver um, and where I started to have doubts about uh, my my part in the party. So uh, I'm even rarer than just a Bloomington uh, Republican. You know, I'm I'm a gay Bloomington Republican, um, and I I had an experience early on where I was I fell for the line that you know Republicans uh, all hate gay people and that they are are all against LGBT rights. And since coming to Bloomington, that's never anything I've experienced. That's never anything I've had anyone address to me. I've never felt unwelcome talking to Republicans here in Monroe County. And it, it was a gradual shift to realizing that that one issue didn't have to define my political beliefs. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it can be difficult being a gay Republican, both uh, as a gay man and as someone involved in politics in Monroe County. But uh, it's, it's worth it to be honest to my beliefs and worth it to be honest to uh, what I want to see happen in our local government. Wouldn't you think that a Bloomington Republican is a heck of a lot different than, oh, I don't know, uh, say a Franklin Republican? Well, I think all Republicans, uh, really, just like all Democrats, are different. So I, I, yeah. I would never say that you know all the Democrats in Monroe County are the same. I never say that all Republicans in Monroe County are the same or anywhere else. Um, so uh, I really want to help people realize that just because I have an R next to my name on the ballot doesn't necessarily mean that I'm against X, Y, or Z. Um, it, it just means that you know I tend to lean uh, more to the right and that I ha- tend to have more uh, opinions that tend to align with that point of view. Um, but it doesn't necessarily fit me into a box with a bunch of check marks. There's uh, plenty of things that I disagree with the Republicans on. There's plenty of things that I disagree with the Democrats on and vice versa. So uh, I look forward to talking to voters and helping them realize that uh, my positions uh, aren't extreme. Um, they're not really unusual when you sit down and look at them. Uh, and they're something that I think Bloomington could really uh, benefit from, from having those voices in the room. Have you met and spoken with uh, Republican chair, uh, county chair, William Ellis? He's happy that you're running. Yes, uh, we, we've been having conversations since last year, um, not about my campaign. Uh, that actually wasn't decided until about the day before I filed. Um, we've been having conversations about you know, how disheartening it is to see a, a lack of Republican representation in elections. Um, and, and the conversation tended to shift towards, you know, we're picking our battles. And, and my point was, is that, well, aren't you worried uh, if people keep seeing elections with no R's on the ballot at all, that people are just going to be, you know, disengaged and eventually just walk away. And I think that really resonated with him. And, you know, towards the beginning of the campaign, he said, you know, I I really don't see why not, um, why we shouldn't have somebody running. And he thought that I had a good platform in mind. He thought that I had good experience in mind to actually give a different choice in this election this time around. So So why did you stay here in Bloomington? I assume you're hoping to stay for many years? Yeah, I'm hoping to stay for, you know, as long as I possibly can. I couldn't think uh, when I finished my degree at IU of anywhere else I'd rather go. Um, I decided, you know, I, I 
made a bunch of uh, friends here. I'd, I'd worked in a variety of roles here. I felt that I knew this town um, better than I had known any other town previously. Um, and it was just somewhere where I wanted to stay and uh, give back as much as I could because it gave me so much during my time uh, at IU and beyond. So you're comfortable here. I am comfortable here. It's a it's a great place to live. Um, it's a great place, you know, for someone like me who doesn't, you know, drive. I, I walk everywhere. I take public transit everywhere. Uh, for the most part, uh, it's a relatively connected town. It's a relatively walkable town. And overall, I think you know people love Bloomington. They love living here. And I'm not running on a platform that's anti-Bloomington. I'm running on a platform that's just saying we should. Uh, we should reach for uh, goals in a different way. Speaking of platform, on your website, uh, you have uh, quite a thorough platform. You've done your homework. Let's talk about some of the ideas that you put forward on your platform. Hey, right off the top, I see one that you uh, suggest the city should partner with health clinics. Uh, that is to uh, offer testing and vaccinations and offer addiction treatment. So in District 2, there, there are problems with drug crime and there's problems with addiction. Um, you know, when I first moved into where I currently live in the district, uh, there were instances of, of drug dealers uh, getting into uh, fights in my complex. You know, there's an individual who was shot in the legs um, over a drug debt. Uh -huh. um, you know, there's needles that we find used around my uh, apartment complex's lawns. And uh, it's something that needs to be addressed head on. I don't think uh, jailing addicts is the solution out of our current addiction problem. It's it's something that we have to address by uh, partnering uh, with clinics, like I said, to to try and give services that help people wean off their addiction, as well as help prevent the spread of diseases. When you say partnering, what do you mean? How specifically is that going to work? So is I, the city going to give money to a clinic? Is the clinic going to get grants and help city programs? do this? What do you mean? So I'd like to see the city partner uh, with clinics to help get them get grants as well as help them with supplemental public funding uh, to help them uh, get these programs up and running to help accommodate the additional influx of vaccinations and tests that have to be done for these service employees. And then I want to partner with businesses to offer them incentives to get their employees tested and vaccinated regularly. Um, you know, there have been uh, over a thousand outbreaks of hepatitis A uh, in Indiana just this past year. And uh, it's something that I think needs to be addressed in terms of, you know, our Bloomington economy has over 600 some restaurants, I believe. Mm -hmm. It's a major part of our economy. And, and when you have problems with hepatitis, you know, despite it only being maybe two or three cases, it really shakes the public's trust in food service and really uh, impacts that aspect of our economy. So I, I don't see uh, the harm in having the city not run a clinic, but partnering with clinics that already exist to help them uh, set up these programs and help offset the cost of the additional patients. You want to increase the size of the Bloomington Fire Department. Correct. Why? So I went to the, the State of Public Safety report uh, that was given uh, for the fire section by uh, Chief Moore, um, and I talked to him about what things he wanted to see happen in Bloomington. Um, he, he identified that he wanted to see the IU fire station move to the bypass. Mm. Um, I think that's a great opportunity to ask IU to pay a bit more in terms of fire safety. One of the main things that uh, Chief Moore pointed out was that we're not currently at fire uh, firefighter capacity to handle fires in buildings over seven stories. Ah. Um, so the small and woods, there are a few of those. the IU yeah. uh, residence halls yeah. um, tend to be over seven stories. And when we're not prepared for our worst case scenario, we risk the lives and health and safety um, of our citizens and we risk those properties as well. Um, you know, it would be 
gut-wrenchingly horrible to have Smallwood burn down and yeah. God forbid lose any lives, but yeah. also the, the damage to the surrounding downtown area would be immense. Where does the money come from? So the money I'd like to see, I've been playing around with ideas. Um, you know, it's something that we'd have to talk with city attorneys and, and local tax experts on. Um, but I've been thinking of uh, levying fees against businesses in buildings over seven stories um, as a fire safety fee um, to help offset the cost of reaching the capacity that we need to be at for those buildings. Um, and then they'd get that money back theoretically in terms of lower fire safety insurance. So uh, when people uh, in businesses get fire insurance, that partially is dependent on how well prepared your fire department is. And by investing in our fire department, getting up to the seven story rating, we should be able to offset fire insurance costs for those same businesses that pay in, as well as homeowners who don't pay into that tax. Now let's jump over to the police department. You're an advocate of community policing. I am. So I, I, I think a lot of the problems with police, um, you know, in the perception of police around not only our community but around the country comes from we've gotten away from police walking a beat, from police being familiar faces in the neighborhood. Um, you know, in Bloomington, especially in my district, I tend to not see police until there's a call. Mm -hmm. um, I never see police just walking around. I never see police on a regular driving route around my district. And, you know, my district, uh, in my area in particular, uh, has some crime issues. And, you know, I'd like to see a police w police walk through once every couple hours at least um, so we have a familiar face and we can uh, have somebody that we feel comfortable addressing. And it, it helps with communities that are underrepresented and communities that oftentimes are afraid of police if they have that familiar face that they feel comfortable talking to. You are looking for neighborhood specialists, you're looking for resource officers and community liaisons. This is more than just uh, guys packing a gun and a badge. Correct. So right. another important aspect is helping to get uh, citizens the resources they need that aren't necessarily legal. So uh, if somebody uh, has a problem that doesn't necessarily involve a crime, so if somebody's having problems with, say, for example, it may be a crime, it may be that they are in an abusive situation, uh, but they don't necessarily feel safe reaching out to the police. Um, they may be of an undocumented status. Um, they may uh, be from a community that's underrepresented in the police force and they don't necessarily feel trusting of the police. You know, they may be someone from a foreign country, for example, and helping to get them uh, through community officers, for example, and uh, liaisons, getting them to the appropriate nonprofits, getting to the appropriate uh, individuals in our community who can help them get through those problems if it's not something that can be handled by the police. I think both helps take pressure off the police department as well as help uh, instill confidence in our police within those communities that uh, need community officers the most. Sticking with the police for a brief moment more, where did you stand on the Bearcat? So the Bearcat itself, I thought, um, I, I saw no problem with the purchase of the Bearcat itself, the actual vehicle. I thought um, the vehicle, there were options that could be added on that the city wasn't considering, so I wasn't concerned about those options being used in the future. Um, but I ha I'm absolutely have no objection to increased transparency within government when it comes to purchases. Um, that's something I've always advocated for, whether it be in the police station or elsewhere. Um, so as long as those acquisitions are made publicly and there's appropriate public notice given, um, you know, I'm open to giving our police what they need in order to survive uh, the most dangerous circumstances that they encounter on the streets. Another aspect of your platform, you talk about improving transportation specifically from District 2 to downtown, District 2 where you live and where you're running. Some of the uh, suggestions that you have made, bike lanes, better sidewalks, better public transportation, trail extensions even. Again, got to say it, this costs money. It does cost you're, money. You're talking about, yeah, you're, a, you're a big tax and spend guy, aren't you? I'm not necessarily a tax and spend guy. So the thing that I want to get people to, to notice is that my Republican-labeled 
largely comes from the fact that I believe local government works best. Yeah. So I think that we can run Monroe County here in Monroe County better than people in D.C. can, or even better than people in Indianapolis can. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not a, fa- a fan of uh, overreach in those areas. So, um, you know, I think that things like public transit should be handled by local governments. So I have no problem with local governments taxing and spending money um, to get the resources they need to offer the services that they're responsible for. Um, obviously, there's limits to that, and there's things that we need to look through the fees and taxes that are levied on the city um, and look at how those impact our economy, for example. And I think we need to look at those more carefully. Uh, we need to look more carefully at how we use bonds and how those impact future generations. But, uh, I, you know, I have, I'm absolutely not against raising money to spend on fire safety, to spend on connectivity for our city to make sure that citizens can get from point A to point B safely. Um, those all fall, I think, under the basic tenets of local government. You've got an interesting idea where you say you'd like to uh, have something you call a heat map be created that would show where the city is spending money in each of the neighborhoods. Uh, And, uh, hey, some neighborhoods might say, hey, where's mine? Exactly. So if you've been listening to city council meetings, a lot of people seem to be concerned that certain neighborhoods in Bloomington are receiving more money or more services than others. Um, I used to work in neighborhood management for a local property management company, and part of that was managing the HOAs and working with the city and county to get uh, adequate services, whether it be trash or plowing, that sort of stuff. Homeowners associations, HOAs, go on. HOAs, yes. And uh, I did experience, it was, it was harder to get the city to respond for requests for things like the Beeline uh, Habitat for Humanity neighborhood, which I helped manage, um, versus getting uh, neighborhoods like Ridgefield in our district uh, extra help. Um, so I think we need to take a close look at where that money is being spent. I think the heat map would really illustrate um, where we are lacking public investment and where we need to look at possibly investing more to help those communities get more connected into Bloomington as a whole. Tax abatements to lure companies and bring jobs. Yeah, so tax abatements are something that I think are feared um, by some people who don't necessarily understand um, that. They're tough to understand. They're tough to understand. TIFs, et cetera. It's all tough. And I I can't blame people for being, you know, uh, a little confused or a little unsure of them. So tax abatements, lowering taxes and, and abating them for businesses that want to come in and set up shop here or expand their businesses. So the latest was uh, Catalent um, went through the city council to get, I think it was two and a half million abated uh, for their uh, expansion for a storage area um, that would have created 200 jobs over $66,000 salary for each. And, you know, there was, there was one member of the Bloomington City Council, Dorothy Granger, um, who, who voted against it because she didn't want publicly traded companies uh, getting tax abatements in Bloomington. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and as our economy changes and as we grow, uh, you know, it becomes increasingly, you know, as we can see from places like New York City, it becomes increasingly difficult to retain businesses and attract them to your to your area. So I, I think offering tax abatements, but requiring public reporting to the city council on a regular basis on whether they're upholding their end of the bargain, uh, as well as having the city perform audits on, on those uh, reports that they're given um, to ensure that in case there are circumstances where businesses are shirking their side of the deal, we can claw back the provision and get those taxes back uh, at the end of the contract. We've run out of time, so join us Monday for Big Talk Extra during the 5 p.m. Daily Local News for more of this conversation. Here he is, running for the City Council, District 2 seat, running unopposed in the Republican primary. Andrew Gunther, Thanks for being on Big Talk. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's been a great time.